אתם מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. This is Mitch Mernick for Radio Call Rama. Stay tuned for a wonderful podcast, a real treat. Max Stoff Silverstone is with us again today to share with us the third episode of Camp Rama in Music. Max brings fantastic history that he's uncovered. And we started this podcast with the song Maybe by Bob Chester and his orchestra. With Dolores O'Neill singing, stay tuned to find out Dolores' connection to Camp Ramah. Good, we're here once again with Max Silverstone. Max, ברוכים הבאים לתחנה שלנו, רדיו כל רמה בבית. How are you? תודה, I am doing great. I just finished the semester last week. Um, it, was, it was tough being on Zoom, but now I'm on winter break, um, so I can relax a little bit and I can work on... making more content for Radio Koroma. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So, so tell us, uh, you know, just fill us in a little bit. I know just for listeners who are tuning into this episode for the first time, you're a cantorial student up at JTS, H.L. Miller Cantorial School. And what year is this now? Uh, I'm in the middle of my second year right now. For listeners tuning in, this is the third in a special series of podcasts of the history of camp before camp. Yeah. So can you just give us a brief overview, a brief overview of the entire project you're working on, and then we're going to do a deep dive into your most recent research. So this whole project started back in May when camp was canceled, and I, bought, I found some postcards online from these places called the Pine Forest Colony, Kiwa Camps, and the Wingdale Country Club. And I recognized uh, places that we know of at Ramah Berkshires in these postcards, so I bought them, and I started doing more research, and I found that like, there were decades of history on our campsite before Ramah even came. Um, so there was the Pine Forest Colony and College Camp, run by a man named Joseph Weil, who was Jewish, by the way. Um, he opened them up in 1910. It was a uh, summer school program and a big vacation resort. Then in 1934, Kiwa Camps came to the property. They um, were on the part that's now A-side and the B-side Boys Kikar. Um, and then in 1945, the rest of the property was sold by the Weils to Sid Luckman, uh, the Bears uh, Hall of Fame quarterback, and a few other investors, And that became the Wingdale Country Club. And that was there until 1952 on, like, you know, the rest of B-Side with the golf course and being on bet. Um, and then in 1952, Kiwa Camps took over the, re the rest of the Wingdale Country Club and greatly expanded the size of their camp. And they were there until 1963 when they sold to JTS. And the camp that we know of as Ramah Berkshires opened up in 1964. And that's, uh, that's where we are today. Well, let me ask you, why is it important? Why, why is this calling to you? Why is it important for us to hear about it? 
I mean, I just love camp, and I just love learning anything that has to do with camp, with the people, with the property. Um, so, like, what called out to me really was seeing on these postcards buildings that I could recognize. Like, I saw Bait on Bet on a Wingdale Country Club postcard. I saw some staff bunks, LSB, LSC, LSD, if you know where those are behind, like, the Mahon Girls bunks. I saw one of those on a Pine Forest Colony postcard. I saw the A-side softball field and Beta Malif on a Kiwa postcard. So I saw, like, this is what I know as camp, and it's so cool to see it in this other context. Like, I want to know more about, like, who are these people? What was this camp? Where does camp come from? When were these buildings built? I just, I just want to know everything there is to know about it. And what's interesting is that a lot of your research then focused in on music at camp, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Why don't you just briefly, briefly give that background? Um, Well, I wasn't expecting to even find music, but I found uh, two records, one from Kiwa and one from Ramah. So in 1961, the campers at Kiwa recorded an, an album um, and it has like some of their cheer songs from when they would do their uh, tribal war, which that was their version of color war because they had like a, a Native American theme in the camp. We know today now that that's offensive, but that's what they did back then. Um, and it had some like it had some other music on it from the camp. And I also found a an album that was recorded at Ramah Berkshires in Bet in 1965. And it has, like, choral music, it has Yiddish music, it has spirituals on it, and it has a lot of music that I even recognized, Um, and it's just really cool to hear, like, what people were singing in camp over 50 years ago, and I'll add that both of those albums we have put up on the Choral Ma website, so you can find it, um, right, www.choralma.us, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash Berkshires, and you can listen to those albums. Fantastic. Thanks for the plug. Uh, <laughs> so, your research goes on, and what are you, what are you going to share with us today? Alright. Um, I'm going to share with you many shocking things that have to do with Judaism, that have to do with some very famous people, that have to do with the mafia. There, there are some stories, let me tell you. Um, so I'll start with the Pine Forest Colony, because that's, uh, the earliest, uh, within this project. So, in 1916, there was a rabbinical student at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, Ohio, that's the Reform Rabbinical School, uh, his name was Irving Reichert, I think is how I pronounce his name, R-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, um, and he worked at the college camp and Pine Forest Colony, and I'll, 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 I'll just read you the article. Well-attended services at camp. From July 1st to September 2nd, services were held at the college camp Wingdale, New York, by Mr. Irving F. Reichert, a student of the Hebrew Union College at Cincinnati, Ohio. The services were held for an average attendance of more than 200 people. The volunteer choir consisted of the Mrs. Helen Rosenstein, Irene and Jeanette Fisher, and Natalie R. Reichert, with Lillian Rosenstein and Madeline Newman, accompanists, and Edward Sanders, violinist. On Friday evenings, a brief kiddish service was held for the members of the camp. So, what I can say about this is, more than a hundred years ago, there were Jews 
in the place that we now know of today as Ramah Berkshires, conducting Shabbat services, more than 200 people, a choir, they had musical instruments too, you know, we don't do that at Ramah today, um, but, you know, this was reformed, they have different, you know, people practice Judaism differently, no, no way is wrong, I'm that's how they do it. I actually, I go to a conservative synagogue that uses musical instruments, but Ramah, uh, we don't use musical instruments, but they did, they use them here. Um, and then I'll share one more thing on the screen with you, Mitch. So I said that there was a, uh, there was a Kiddush service. Where are you um, reading that from? Where was that article? Oh, sorry. Yes. The citation. So this was in the, a newspaper called the American Israelite on page five, uh, Good. Yeah, the, the the date was uh, September eighth. Sorry, sorry, September twenty eighth. Of what um, era? Uh, of nineteen sixteen. Okay, great. Um, and then you'll see here, Mitch, what I've shared on the screen. So there is a kiddish cup plate and uh, like a kiddish cup and plate set that is at the Magnes uh, Archive of Judaica in Berkeley, California, and these this kiddish set says. To Irving F. Reichert from his friends at Pine Forest Colony, September 1st, 1916, with the letter R inscribed on each cup. So the Wiles, you know, Joseph Weil, who we were talking about before, and his family, they ran the camp. They gifted him a set of Kiddush cups, and those Kiddush cups still exist today in California. I don't know why we don't have them at camp. I think that uh, we should reach out to them and ask if they can uh, donate them to Ramah. But uh, that's just... That's crazy that this Kiddush Cup over a hundred years ago from the place that we now know as, as camp, like that this exists. Wow. <laughs> well, that is something. And and the rabbi, Reichert, was the rabbi of Congregation Emmanuel in San Francisco yes. in 1930, isn't Yeah. And they talk about the Pine Forest Colony. Yeah. What a uh, wonderful uh, piece of history. Um Fantastic, um, and then I guess I can just say one more thing about um, Rabbi Reichert. He was um, he he was very historic in kind of ringing the alarm bell in American Jewry about what was happening to the Jews in Europe. Uh, he visited Nazi Germany in 1933 and 1937, and like he came back and he reported what he saw, um, and he was like he used his you know his pulpit and his congregation to try to like rally the public and government officials to kind of, like, do something about, um, you know, what was going on with the Jews in Europe and and the Nazi oppression. Um, so I'll just also add that, like, after working at camp, this was what he, uh, this is what he did. Um, so really a, a, a remarkable man, a remarkable rabbi. And then, um, so I guess I can tell, I have a few, I have two more stories about the Pine Forest Colony. And sure. then... And then an insane story about the people of the Pine Forest Colony. So uh, my next story, I mean, I guess it's not so much a story, but it's just something to talk about. Um, so remember last podcast, I mentioned that uh, Joseph Weil had donated an ambulance to the town of Dover Plains, and it was a huge event with over a thousand people, and FDR couldn't make it, but he wrote him a letter. But one of the things that they advertised in the event was that the uh, Pine Forest Society Orchestra was playing at the event, and I did a little more research into this, couldn't find so much, but Joseph Weil had his own orchestra at the Pine Forest Colony that played at galas, at events, 
they did some shows at the Harlem Valley Psychiatric Institute, um, you know, on Route 22. Um, so it's just cool to know that over 100 years ago, there was, there was an orchestra uh, at camp. I thought that was fascinating. And then I guess another um, thing here. So in, in October of 1931, during the Great Depression, Joseph Weil had a ginormous, is the only way, way, word to use for that, a ginormous building project commissioned at, at his camp which included basically all of A-Side and the B-Side Kikar and the Khadar and Beit Am Aleph and Beit Am Bet. Um, and I'll just read the little part of the article that mentions uh, what we now know as Beit Am Bet. So it says, Mr. Weil's program includes erection of a new social hall with a seating capacity of 500 persons with up-to-date and modern equipment, stage arrangement, and facilities which will provide a suitable place for presentation of professional performances ranging the scale from concert to variety numbers. So this was this was during the Great Depression. They built Bait on Bet, and like that's what we do today. We'll we'll stuff five hundred people into the building. We'll have concerts. We'll have uh, musicals. Uh, in terms of professional performances, you know, we'll we'll bring in Josh Warshawski or or Brian Gelfand. Um, you know, do like a July Fourth concert. Um, so we use Bet on Bet basically the same way that it was used a hundred years ago, and I'll have more to say about the building uh, when I get to the Window Country Club. Um, and what what year? Once again, did you say that was built in? Uh, so the building project started in 1931, but I don't think the building was actually finished until either 34 or 37. I have conflicting sources there. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Um, so now, um, have, have I told you, Mitch, about the story with the Rio Bamba nightclub? You know, I think you mentioned it, and uh, yeah. but this is this sounds like there's a little more to that story. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm still piecing it all together, but I guess I'll share on this podcast what I know now, and then maybe in the in a future podcast, I'll have uh, more information and maybe answers to some of my own questions. Um, so in 1939, our hero Joseph Weil uh, unfortunately passed away, and his son Linton uh, took over the camp. But a few years later, in December of 1942, Linton left Wingdale for glamorous, glorious New York City, and he started a nightclub in East Midtown called the Rio Bamba. It was on 57th Street. Um, and the newspaper articles said that he started the nightclub using an initial investment of $45,000 that he made running adult camps. So, hmm, adult camps, what are they talking about? Oh, it's what we know as Ramah today, the Pine Forest Colony. Um, and so on opening night, uh, Weil and his team recruited an actress and singer named Jane Froman, who I'm not sure how many people know of her today, but she was pretty popular back then. And she commissioned a theme, a theme song for the club that was called Rio Bamba. And the next day, in all the newspapers, they were raving about this glamorous nightclub and this incredible song. A thousand years ago, they danced it soft and slow. The little Indians were dancing sweet and low in Rio Bamba. Spaniards came, they caught 
sounded much too tame. And since that day, the dance has never been the same in Rio Bamba. This was before Leonard was was even famous, um, but yeah, we had like because of this story. I'd say that Leonard Bernstein is affiliated with our camp, you know. Um, and then a, a few weeks later, uh, Weil and his team planned out a party for the president, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh, I don't think it was hosted at the nightclub, but at the very least, like the nightclub promoters and. The workers kind of like planned out the party. I think it was at a, a hotel in Midtown somewhere. Um, but then, if if you thought Leonard Bernstein was cool, just uh, just buckle up your seatbelts. We have some more big names to uh, to show. So in March of that year, uh, Weil and his team recruited a young Italian American singer from Hoboken who was not super well known. And on the first night, he just like he he blew everyone away again just like opening night like the newspapers were going crazy about this guy they were talking about how all of the women loved him about his soft voice and just the beautiful notes he could sing and from this debut the Rio Obama became like it, the, the nightclub was packed it was standing room only within the next few weeks um, and he, he was quoted as the voice that is thrilling millions who is this man? Frank Sinatra. So the reason why Frank Sinatra is famous is because he started singing at the Rio Bamba nightclub, which was opened up by Linton Weil, which he funded from the money he made from camp. That is just 
mind-boggling. What a what a what a story, and what a what a sequence of events, really. Yeah, the Frank Sinatra story, as glorious and glamorous as that was, um, unfortunately, it was short-lived. Sinatra then went on to some bigger clubs, um, and he had a falling out with Linton and his team. I read somewhere that. Linton tried to sue Sinatra for $100,000 for violating, like, a verbal pact, saying that Sinatra would stay at the Rio Bamba for, like, X number of months or whatever it was. Um, But I don't know where that lawsuit went. I couldn't follow up on it. Perhaps they never followed up on actually suing him. But when Sinatra left uh, the Rio Bamba, his replacement was Dean Martin. Wow. You know, we have have a lot of big names here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm no expert, but I, I, the impression I get is uh, Frank Sinatra is not the kind of guy you wanted to sue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Wow. So Dean Martin then comes into this. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, just amazing. Yeah. And then I guess like the, the last little part about the Rio Bamba is that in October of 1943, so less than a year after it opened, because it opened in December of 1942, uh, Linton sold out his shares in the Rio Bamba and went back to Wingdale. I'm not totally sure why. It might have been after the whole Frank Sinatra debacle. It might have been because he had a young son in Wingdale that he wanted to go see. At least that's what I'm hoping it was. You know, you want to be with your son. Um, but uh, some of the people who came to own the nightclub afterwards were affiliated with the mafia. There was one guy named Arthur Jarwood, um, and... There were rumors, I don't know if it's true, that Louis Lepke Buckalter was uh, the owner of the nightclub for a brief time. Um, do, you, do you know who he was? No, that name isn't okay. familiar to me. Um, so ha- have you heard of Murder Incorporated? Yes, yes. Yes, so Buckalter was like the head of Murder Incorporated. Tell us what Murder um, Incorporated is. So uh, not, not super pretty, but it was, I guess, a gang of mobsters in the early 1900s who contracted hundreds of of murders uh i guess is the way to say it um and they're very infamous um buck buck alter was actually called a kosher mobster because he was jewish um not uh not not good news for the jews i guess is the way to put it but uh buck alter was actually executed at sing sing prison um, I also think in uh, 1943 or 44, at some point close to when the Rio Bamba was uh, open. Um, but yeah, there were rumors that he owned the club at a brief point. I don't know if they were true, but I don't know. I, it's, it's a cool story, at the very least. Well, he's not going to make Adam Sandler's uh, Hanukkah song or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know, you can get a, a different perspective and, and an interesting appreciation of of camp and the iterations. It's almost like archaeology you're performing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and, oh, I, I said that that was my last thing to do with the Pine Forest Colony and the Wilds, but I actually forgot. There's one more story with the Wilds. So um, after owning the nightclub, Linton Wild was uh, drafted into the military and he fought in World War II. Then he came back to Wingdale, and he uh, bought the Wingdale Diner, which the building still exists now. It's uh, Wingdale Beer and Liquor. It's the last building on Route 22 before you get to the uh, to the Psychiatric Institute. 
Um, this, I, this isn't music, but it's just some of the history I found that I thought was cool. But in the 1950s, Linton married a woman by the name of Dolores O'Neill. She was one of the top uh, singers in the swing era, swing era of the late 30s and early 40s. Um, she sang with Bob Chester and his orchestra and with Artie Shaw. Um, you can find recordings of her singing online. It's, 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 uh, she has a beautiful voice. Um, but she was one of like the big, one of the big big band singers of of the swing era. So I thought that that was really cool. And when when they got married, Dolores moved in with Linton in Wingdale. Um, Linton had his one son from his first wife, who unfortunately died very young. Uh, the wife died young. Uh, his son is actually still alive today. Um, and Dolores had five uh, children from her first marriage. And so they combined children, and they lived in Wingdale. And actually, one of Dolores' sons still lives in Wingdale today. His name is John, and he actually owns a lot of the property near camp, and he rents it out to vacationers. So uh, there's still, like, a little bit of the uh, wild Pine Forest Colony um, legacy going on in Wingdale, not, you know, past, past the gates of our camp. So I thought that that was uh, really fascinating. You've spoken to the... Uh linton who's alive the son uh yeah linton's son's joe i i was able to have one phone call with him um it was really cool to talk to him uh he said that he when he was a very young kid he remembers being at the camp um at that point it was kiwa and the window country club and he says like he was he was in the navy and he's traveled the world and that there's no place as beautiful as wingdale and lake ellis Wow, so he, he he's not a youngster now. Do you have any idea no. all these? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. F- fabulous. Yeah. Interesting, fabulous, putting it all into perspective. Yeah. All right, so I guess, yeah, that, that finally concludes our Pine Forest Colony and Wild family part of this. So now I guess I'll move on to the Wingdale Country Club. So, um, just to reiterate, in 1945, um, Linton Weil and then Joseph Weil's widow, Rose Weil, they were the two owners. They sold um, the camp to Sid Luckman, uh, Hall of Fame Bears quarterback, which at the time he was uh, playing, that was before he was in the Hall of Fame, um, and it became the Wingdale Country Club. And in August of 1945, there were ads in the New York Times for like vacationers to come to the country club, and it said, Reserve now for high holidays. Um, so I don't know what uh, High Holidays looked like at the Window Country Club. I don't know if they had a choir like uh, Irving Reichert did at the Pine Forest Colony, but I would love to spend Rosh Hashanah at camp. That sounds awesome. Um, maybe we can make that a thing after the pandemic ends. I don't know. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to talk to Rabbi Linden and the, the camp leadership team. Um, but uh, one thing that I found with the Window Country Club was that they hosted a lot of galas in Beit Ambet including in July of 1945, they had a host, they, they, ha- they hosted a benefit for the Wingdale Civic Association War Memorial Fund. Um, that's quite a mouthful. And um, this program, they said that there were over 500 people there. There were country club personnel, guests, civic association members, and townspeople, and that they, quote, enjoyed a wonderful variety program of exceptional talent, and it was held in the camp social hall, which... That, that's bait on bet. Like, this is just so cool. Um, 
And I guess like I'll I'll just read like a few little uh, snippets from the article in the Patterson Pauling uh, News Chronicle, which was a local newspaper at the time. This is on the front page. Um, it says the program opened very impressively by the orchestra presenting a medley of all service airs, closing with the entire assembly singing the national anthem. Um, and that reminded me of how like we do musicals in camp today, and we have these fascinating, um, what, what was the word? Wonderful programs of exceptional talent are the words they use. So I will apply that to our camp. That's what we do today. And then we close with singing, not the national anthem, but we have Himnon Rama and Rod Hayom. Um, and you know, that, that, uh, benefit was just one of the events that I could find. I could find several others, including they had July 4th galas. Um, they had other fundraisers, um, and one more thing about that is that there were ads in the New York Times from 45 to 52 when the Wingdale Country Club was open, and they advertised Broadway entertainment and that Sid Pelton and his orchestra were like the in-house orchestra of the, of the country club. Um, I, wasn't, I didn't know who Sid Pelton was, but you can find his music online. You can search him on YouTube, on Spotify. Uh, maybe we'll uh, edit in one of his songs right now. Baby goes home to her flat to sleep all day.
So another uh, celebrity who was affiliated with the Wingo Country Club was named Damon Runyon. Uh, I'm not sure how many people have heard of him today, but uh, he was pretty famous at the time. He was a, a newspaper writer about uh, first about sports, then about Broadway. Um, and unfortunately, he passed away in 1946 from throat cancer. Uh, he was a smoker. But in June of 1947, Sid Luckman named the Athletic Center at the Wingo Country Club af- after Damon Runyon. So it was called the Damon Runyon Memorial Field. And I'm not sure what specific part of camp this is, but I'm guessing it's like the B-side softball field and the stadium courts and the tennis courts and the volleyball courts that are like past the outfield. Um and they and they hosted like collegiate and uh professional and semi professional teams um to do fundraisers for the Damon Runyon uh uh cancer research memorial fund. Uh this was at the Window Country Club. Um and I guess one thing about the legacy of Damon Runyon, he wrote a few short stories and characters that um I don't remember the names of the other playwrights, but he, he inspired some playwrights to write uh, Guys and Dolls. And in sixth grade, we did Guys and Dolls at my school, and I was Nathan Detroit. And Mitch, do you remember who played Nathan Detroit in the original running of Guys and Dolls? It, it was our buddy Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> there he is. All comes Big around. Frankie. <laughs> what's playing at the Roxy? I'll tell you what's playing at the Roxy. It's a picture about a Minnesota man so in love with a Mississippi girl that he sacrifices everything and moves all the way to Biloxi. That's what's playing at the Roxy. What's in the Daily News? I'll tell you what's in the Daily News. Story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the Daily News. What's happening all over? I'll tell you what's happening all over. Guy sitting home by a television set who used to be something of a rover. That's what's happening all over. Love is a thing that has licked them. And it looks like I'm just another victim. Yes, sir. When you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll. When you spot a John waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane, as only a John can be for a Jane. When you meet a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat that could flatten the Taj Mahal. Call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money that the guy's only doing it for some dog. When you see a Joe saving half of his dough, you can bet there'll be mink in it for some doubt. When a bum buys wine like a bum can't afford, it's a cinch that the bum is under the thumb of some little broad. When you meet a mug lately out of the jug, and he's still lifting platinum for the roll. Call it hell, call it heaven, it's a probable 12 to 7 that the guy is only doing it for some dog. 
when you see a sport and his cash has run short, you can bet he's been blowing it on some doll. When a guy wears tails with the front gleaming white, who the heck do you think he's tickling pink on Saturday night? When some lazy slob gets a good steady job and he smells from Vitalis and Barbasol. Call it dumb, call it clever, ah, but you can give odds forever that the guy's only doing it for some doll, some doll, some doll. The guy's only doing it for some Um, I guess that concludes our part about the Wingdale Country Club. Um, now we'll move on to Camp Kiwa. So I guess I've already talked a little bit about how we had, um, they recorded a record in 1961 and we've uploaded it to Koroma. Um, but I, since the last podcast, I've learned that two of those songs, Let's Give a Cheer and Is There a Dash, were written by a man named Arnold Goland. And he's not the most well-known person, but he's definitely had an effect on the world of American music that uh, we can all feel today. So Arnie Goland, he was a songwriter, but he was also a sound engineer. He worked with Phil Spector to create the wall of sound that defined American rock, rock and pop music in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Um, so Phil Spector was kind of the face of the wall of sound, but, but Arnie Goland was like, he was the brains behind the wall of sound. So now he's 92 years old, uh, and he lives in California, but he was born in Brooklyn and kids in Brooklyn in those days, they went to Camp Kiwa. So I guess in the thirties and forties, he went to Kiwa. He wrote those two songs, let's give a cheer and is there a dash? And, uh, that was the, that was the start of his career. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he grew up and he became this very influential uh, sound engineer and songwriter. Uh, one of his most famous songs is called it, it Hurts to Say Goodbye. I think it was released in 1967 and it was in the Billboard Top 10. Um, and there's also a French version of it. Uh, I'll, I'll try to pronounce it called Comment de Dire Adieu. And it's a song that I think is still very famous in French today, in, in France today. Um, so that was Arnie Goland, uh, our uh, Kiwa uh, camper songwriter. Yeah. 
Another thing about the Kiwa songs, I've been talking to some Kiwa alumni, and a lot of them have said that you know they still sing Kiwa songs today. And let's not forget, Kiwa closed in 1963. It's been gone for almost 60 years, and there are still people today who know the music.、Um, which you know, I'm on music staff at camp, and every summer we put together the Zimriya, and so. It gives me hope that 60 years from now there will be, you know, the, today's campers, to, the future's grandparents,、uh, singing, you know, their Zimriya songs. They'll be singing like Hashem Melech or Zahav or Mahapecha Shel Simcha. You know, those those famous songs in camp today that people will sing them in the future.、Um, and in fact, there was one there was one guy I was talking to. He said that he couldn't remember nursery rhymes when he had kids. So instead, he just sang them Kiwa songs to、uh, put them to bed.、Uh, so、I thought that was really funny. That's all I have for the Kiwa camps part.、Um, but now I'm gonna take a small detour from camp. Don't worry, I'm not going too far.、Um, so across the Agam,、uh, near where the sun deck is, like where that pagoda is, that used to be a camp called Camp Unity, and Unity was a communist interracial camp. It has a crazy history. It was investigated by the United States government. There were people who tried to blow it up.、Um, Unity could probably get its own podcast, in fact.、Um, but since this is the music podcast, I'll talk about、uh, the music that happened there. So there was one book that claimed that Camp Unity had the best jazz music for a hundred miles, and you know they they had a huge social hall right on the lake.、Um, unfortunately, I think it burned down in the seventies.、Um, But they would throw like these massive parties, and even like some people from Kiwa would like sneak out of camp at night and go down the road and go to these parties.、Um, at least that's what the you know Kiwa people told me.、Um, shh, it's a secret. Don't don't tell anyone else.、Um, I don't want them to get in trouble.、Um, 
and um, they had like some big names, including Pete Seeger. His sister was a counselor at Camp Unity, so every summer for July 4th, Pete Seeger would give a concert at Camp Unity, and um, I heard some Kiwa alumni would like hear it from across the lake, and even Canner David Tillman, who we mentioned in some previous podcasts, he was the one who uh, was a part of the 1965 Ramah Berkshire's album. He told me that he remembers going to the Sun Deck and listening to these Pete Seeger concerts from across the lake. Um, so I thought that was just really cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's Camp Unity. Um, and then I guess all this history, I guess now it, it, it takes us to, uh, to Camp Ramah. Um, so what, what do I have to say about music at Camp Ramah? This could be, you know, this could be a whole podcast series. Um, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the 1965 album that we put up on the website. So one thing that I really love about this album is how diverse all the music is. So like one of the pieces is a four part, um, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, chorale called Al Naharot Bavel, which are texts from, from the Psalms. Um, and it was, that, that piece was written by uh, a man named Salomone Rossi, who lived in Italy in the late 16th century, early 17th century. And his choral music is, I believe, the first notated Jewish choral music that we have. Um, and that piece, Al Naharot Bavel, we actually sang it in camp. Our Makela sang it on Tisha B'Av last year. So the same piece that they sang 60 years ago, that's from, like, not 600, like 400 years ago, um, is also a piece that we sing today. Oh 
another piece on that album, uh, Connor Al Hagag, Fiddler on the Roof. So Fiddler on the Roof opened up in 1963, so it was like the hot new thing at that time, and you know, in 1965. And you know, again, that's music that we still know of today. Like this album is is truly timeless. Um, so I love listening to it.
really what you and your fellow music staff bring to camp. It sticks with people. It does stick with people, yeah. obviously. And uh, there's even a deeper connection than we realized hearing what hearing the history that you've uh, uncovered. I think that's about all the history that I have for, for today. Well, it, it's it's a lot, and it's great. And um, so where, where are you going now with this? What What's the next step, do you think, in your work? Yeah. So originally I thought that I'd be like kind of wrapping up this program now over winter break. Uh, but I didn't get to do as much work as I wanted to do during the semester just because I was busy with school. And also, I've been able to contact Kiwa alumni, and there's still so many that I need to talk to, have phone calls with, email. Um, so there's still more information to dig up. Um, but after the spring semester ends, uh, in the early summer before camp starts, uh, I want to write this all up into a book and send it to campers, counselors, Kolrama listeners, just anyone who's interested in, in reading about all this history and it'll it'll have, you know, what I write, but I'll also include some pictures, um, some newspaper clippings, just, you know, all the history that I'm sure people love to hear because, you know, who doesn't love hearing about camp? And uh, if you mention Camp Rama, if you mention Col Rama, Radio Col Rama, when you order the book, you'll get a, you'll get the book signed by Max. Yes. Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, wow, it, it's it's great, Max. It's great. Uh, really want to thank you, Max Silverstone, for bringing this uh, third episode of a history of music at Camp Ramon the Berkshires. It is fascinating. The work you're doing is fascinating. One who wish you Hatzlacha in your continued endeavors in cantorial school and uh, God's help get to see you soon in person. I hope yeah. uh, for you, take this opportunity to uh, wish you a continued good and wonderful and healthy year and um just thank you again for sharing this with me and all of our listeners on Radio Korama. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to uh, be on the airwaves again, the virtual airwaves. Um, you know, I'd say that music is my favorite thing in camp because it's what I do, but that radio is a close second. And then when you consider the fact that there's music on the radio, perhaps... Maybe radio is my favorite thing in camp. Well, uh, very, very sweet. And uh, as as I've said many times, and it's so true that, uh, you know, the radio station, Kol Rama, 102.3 FM, Magishim Kayetz Ba'avir, <laughs> that station is a resource. You know, the station is really just a bunch of wires and transistors. But it's the community campers, the staff, the music that that brings it alive, that breathes breathes life into it. And it's really been a great uh, privilege and a lot of fun to be associated with it. You can reach Max Silverstone at maxsilverstone507 at gmail.com. 
That's MaxSilverstone507 at gmail.com.
Tov li bimachan heramah.